Well, I don't care what anybody says, your physical trainer, what the guy over at Planet Fitness says, treadmills are dangerous. Stay away from them. Maybe that's the way it feels for you, headed from summer into fall. You feel like you're on this treadmill, and uh, things are starting to amp up a little bit as you go from one season to the next. And you know, when it, things start to amp up in our life, we live in this culture where he who is busiest is of most value, Right? He who is busiest of most value. So you kind of get in conversations that kind of reflect what happened on the treadmill between those two ladies. You get in a conversation, you start telling someone, oh, you know, I've got to go do this, and my job's requiring this, and I have a class to go take in this. And they go, well, if you think you're busy enough value, let me tell you what high value I am. And then we just keep amping it up and amping it up and amping it up until pretty soon we're on our faces, Right? Because we think that our value comes from the barrenness of busyness. He who is doing the most is of most value. And it's just not true. And so we live in, especially I think this fall season, a time of frenzy. We're tired, we're stressed, we're stretched to the limit. And so in this series we wanted to help you attend to that. We wanted to talk to you today about setting priorities. And next week about how to bring peace into environments within you and outside of you. And then in the last week, we want to talk to you about practicing the presence of God and finding rhythms of letting God breathe life into you and uh, rhythms of you then breathing that life back out into the creation and the people around you that God's entrusted in your life. So every seasonal change of the year brings a time of transition. And this transition brings change and pressure and stress. But think about this. I think fall brings the most. You know, think about the changes and transitions from summer into fall. Now, thank the Lord football's back. Amen, gentlemen? And uh, thank God for that, uh, because that gives us a breath. It's almost like Sabbath to us, isn't it, guys? You know, Sabbath rest, football. But there's a lot of changes that bring stress. It's the end of enjoyable summer weather. You know, soon everything's going to turn brown in Pennsylvania and die. No more vegetables in the garden, no more pretty flowers out back, and you know, you know, we had to water them, but there's just a lot of the beauty, physical beauty goes, right? Kind of goes out. The end of summer vacations, and it's the end of family gatherings, and you can either take that as a positive or a negative in the family gatherings. <laughs> it's the beginning of school, whether you're starting preschool or elementary school or middle school or high school or college or graduate school. Or you're going back to work and they're sending you off for training school, you know? And it's the beginning, just more work. I gotta do my work and I gotta go to school. And maybe it's the beginning of a part time job or working on campus or whatever. Uh, for me in the fall, you know, it went from working full time in the summer when I was a college student to then work, working as a work study part time there and then working another part time job at Roadway Express loading trucks so I could pay the tuition at Messiah College. And uh, so that, that was a bit of a frenzy, getting used to the fall again. And so we all go through these things. There's new sports activities that are fun, but we not only have our own sports activities, we have other people inviting us to come watch theirs. And so we care what they're doing. <laughs> and how bad they are at it. There's the onslaught of fall holidays that include Labor Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. They kind of compound, bam, 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 don't they? 
My son's off at college in western Colorado in his freshman year, and he doesn't get to come home for Christmas, till Christmas, because, you know, the holiday of Thanksgiving is there, and there's like, then finals, and then coming back, you know? So he would just be like flying across the nation, bing, 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 like that if he came back for Thanksgiving, you know? But there's a pressure of that for him and for us. It'll be the first time that our youngest guy hasn't been here at Thanksgiving, that's a difference. That's a change. There's the financial drain of school and sports and holidays and traveling and, and all the things. And January comes and we look at the bills and we go, what happened in the fall? And it was the frenzy. The frenzy took over. It's the onset of new initiatives at work and in the community. And you know, I have friends that live in my neighborhood or as I'm walking our dog, hey, could you help with this? Could you step into this community thing we're doing? Could you drop an ice bucket over your head? Because, you know, how many of those challenges have I had? I don't even have a Facebook page. So I told my pastoral friends, I didn't see any of your challenges. And my wife's like, yes, you did. I just showed them to you on mine. <laughs> and quit ratting me out on that. So it's a lot of change to navigate in a short period of time. Life comes crashing down. It's exciting, but it also can be overwhelming. But then also not just a calendar seasonal change, there's the seasonal changes of our lives that come at the same time. We're sending kids off to the next stage of life, or we're going off to that next stage of life, and that's a change for us. This fall, people are getting married. I know I'm conducting two marriage ceremonies this fall myself. I used to be 20 years ago when I was first in ministry, I, you just did marriages in June and July, and that was done. You know, you got everyone ready. We used to do like a small group thing. We trained all the couples. They were in a small group. We did a workshop for them and seminars and small groups and, and got them ready and got them all married in the summer and we were done. Never did, you know, wedding. Now that weddings and ceremonies and celebrations are all year long. And there are destinations that we have to travel to, right? And set up outside and worried about the weather. And can we actually get the pastor to Cancun? Yes, you can. <laughs> By the way, if you're thinking about that, pick me. Pick me. I'm the best. But it's all these changes, not in just the seasons of the year, but the seasons of the life, and they kind of gang up sometimes in the fall. And if I haven't been, what an encouragement I've been this morning so far, right? Aren't you glad you came? You know, we have, uh, you know, the donkey up here from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore is up here preaching the sermon this morning. But, you know, these things come up and they kind of weigh on us heavy and hard. And uh, the other day, even my wife and I were kind of just going through some of the things we had to do. And this is, you know, we got to go to this thing this afternoon. We're going to a family picnic for my family, but my mom's in the hospital at the same time. So she can't come to the family picnic. So everyone's trying to go visit her at the hospital and peel off of the family picnic. And my brother's texting me, can you bring all the drinks? And I'm like, I won't be there by one o'clock. It's not physically possible to drive from here to Lewistown, 70 miles, and be there by one o'clock after preaching this morning. And, you know, all this stuff's kind of going on. And then uh, my son, we're sending some stuff out to Colorado with his grandpa who's going hunting next month. So we're nestling and getting all that stuff ready to put in his pickup truck to send when he goes out hunting. He's stopped by. And just all this stuff's going on. And, and after a while, she was saying stuff to me. And I could hear her, see her mouth moving, but I couldn't hear any words. All I could hear was this. Dun, 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 dun. Under pressure. It's an old David, David Bowie song. That's all I could hear. You know, and sometimes that's the background music of the fall transition. You know, it's just crazy, and it just amps up. And our problem is, is we're trying to stuff 
10 pounds of life into a five-pound sack. God's word says it this way, that our time equals our life, that time does equal life. God's word says it this way. It says in Job 14, 5, and Job is talking to God. He's saying, God, you've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we're going to live, and you've not given a minute longer. Let's read that out loud together, okay? You've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we live, and we are not given a minute longer. God determines it, but we think if we could have extra minutes or hours in a day, we could just get more stuff accomplished. Just, Lord, give me one more hour in this day. But it didn't work in the times of the ancients, and it's not going to work today. God only allots to us so much time and so much activity. He wants us to have some margin in our life so we can enjoy him all together and worship him and know him and walk with him in this world and into eternity. And so the big question we're looking at this morning is, am I going to live under the pressures of life or am I going to live by the priorities that God has? For my life. We're going to take a couple minutes this morning just to begin to delve into this. This will not cover this subject matter in total in any way. You know, you can read volumes of books about this. The Bible from cover to cover talks about priorities over pressure. If you want to read a good volume about it, read the Bible and study it. Read the Psalms and read Proverbs. Proverbs deals with that, okay? But this morning we're going to talk about it for a couple of minutes just to be able to get us maybe perhaps exchanging the basis of our life being pressures for priorities, okay? And so the first question we're going to look at this morning is, are you living under pressure? Are you living life under pressure? And the first passage we're going to look at is this sobering verse of Scripture. It's in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was and is a prayer that Moses wrote. Now, David predominantly wrote the Psalms, but there are some Psalms, and you'll notice that if you look in the apparatus as you're reading it, the extra notes that are in there, it'll say a Psalm of Moses, and Moses wrote this. And Moses is supposed to be what? According to Scripture in the New Testament, one of the wisest men and one of the most humble men that ever lived. And so if Moses prayed this, maybe we can learn something from his prayer. And he says this. It's a sobering thought to me. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Circle that last phrase, we fly away. Now, isn't this just an encouraging, you might want to put this in your fridge this week and just read it every morning. It'll really encourage you. You can draw a little picture of Eeyore next to it. But there's a reason that they wrote us. How many of you have heard the old song, old gospel song, I'll Fly Away? You heard it. Either you heard it in church or you heard Willie Nelson sing it at Farm Aid. Right? And why do we like that song? Why do we like that song inside and outside the church? I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly. You know why? Because we just want to get out of here some days. I'm out of here. Say goodbye to my job and my boss. Say goodbye to all those people that give me trouble. Say goodbye to that body that's breaking down and doesn't work right anymore. I will fly away. Woo-hoo-hoo. Wouldn't it be cool if you could just fly? I've thought about that. You know, I was out in Colorado and I was up in these mountaintops and I thought, I was at Monarch Pass, which is about 11,700 11, feet above sea level. 
driving from Gunn- back from Gunnison down to Denver, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could fly? Now, I didn't try it, okay? That's why I'm here today. But it's part of that freedom to just, ah, oh, everything's gone and I'll fly away. And that's what Moses was saying. Even the ancients felt the pressure of life. And they felt it and said, ah, but someday the pressures that hold us down will be released and we'll fly away. It seems like even Moses, the author of the psalm, knew, he knew that the pressure, living under pressure, is not exclusively a modern day problem. The ancients dreamed of a time when all the pressure was gone, gravity was lifted off of their shoulders. And they could fly away and be with God totally in a total loving relationship with him. So how many times have you and I just said, man, if I just had a few more hours in a day, if I just had a few more hours today, I wouldn't have fallen asleep when I was writing that paper. Uh, Right now I'm finishing a project for graduate school and it was due Friday and I finally had to realize it ain't getting done on Friday. Now my professors don't really like that and the grade book really doesn't like that. And finally, I just said, I'm 52 years old. It was my birthday on Friday. And I said, you know what? The heck with that paper. I'm celebrating my birthday with some friends. Now, that's not really helping you Messiah students that are here this morning. <laughs> just go back to your professor and say, my pastor, Pastor Joel Smith over at Daybreak, who is a Messiah graduate, said that I didn't have to get this project done in time. You're supposed to give me some grace. Then have them call me and I'll say, I don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) I never said that. But you know, there's just, you you get caught up in everything. And I thought, if I just had a few more hours at the end of the day, maybe after going out to dinner and after being with my friends and after everyone goes to bed, I could sit down and write the... And you're out. And really, if you think about it, do you want a few more hours to just be as busy as you've been during the last 24 Is that the idea? Oh, I could be busy, high-strung, and stressed out for four more hours. And God's saying, go to sleep, rest. Do the cadence of rest and get out of all that work and activity and action. So we try to do things faster. I don't know about you, but then I think, well, I can't have a couple more hours, but maybe if I can get my phone to work faster, and I can get my computer to download stuff faster, If I can look at all of my email faster. So we buy these apparatus. We buy iPads. And we have iPads and phones and computers. And and we're constantly going between them. And then we get in the car and we have Bluetooth in the car. It's great. Because then I can, as I'm driving, I can talk. Someone calls, I push a button. It comes on through the speaker system of the car. So that I can not have rest for one single second of my life. Right? Uh, and I think that way. I'm going to get a lot of stuff done in the car. I'm driving to Lewistown today. I'm calling appointments. I'm calling people. And I'm telling Siri to text so-and-so. Siri, text so-and-so this. And she just does it magically for me. And I get so much more done. And I come back and everybody says, Joel, take a couple extra days off. You've been working so hard. You've been getting all this stuff done. Just take a couple of days. Doesn't that happen to you guys too? Because we have all this technology. So aren't we down to the four-day work week that they promised me when I was in elementary school? No. That just amps it up all the more. You hear from people, I texted you 15 seconds ago, and now I'm offended. Why aren't you getting back to me? 
because I have 5,243 other texts that came 15 seconds ago and emails. It's crazy, isn't it? What it does is it's raised our expectation level up of each other that's unreal. And it's got us on a treadmill. And we're on those treadmills and we're amping it up and we're jacking it up. The other day someone told me, I, it was my son. We were out at school dropping him off. He goes, Dad, you still have the 4S. That's, that's my iPhone. You still have the 4S. He was shaming me. I've been shamed and guilted over a lot of stuff. I mean, I grew up in a, kind of a Pennsylvania Dutch family. Half of my, I mean, we know how to do the shame and guilt stuff, Pennsylvania Dutch. But he brought it to another. I'd never been shamed about my technology by my own son. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, I honestly hope the thing breaks and all that works is the phone. Then I have a good excuse not to have to work 24-7. You know, we just think we live, we have to be in connectivity all the time, don't we? But then we find we're so disconnected from real life and the goodness of God to number our days aright and gain a heart of wisdom. But we're so distracted by all of the stimuli around us. Do we really think that other things that move faster are going to help us deal with the pressure of life? You know, I talked to my wife the other day because she deals with pressure where she works. My wife is a wound care nurse, and so she deals with different wounds where she works at, and she not only helps people manage their wound, she manages the nurses that work there and people called hyperbaric technicians. Hyperbaric technicians put people in big oxygenated tanks and put them in a super oxygenated place for about an hour to help their wounds heal. And they look, they do look kind of space age when you go in there and they can watch a movie from inside there. They can't take other stuff in with them and they can hear music inside there, but there are these therapies to help their wounds heal. But one of the particular wounds that she deals with is kind of different. And I thought about this this week when I was thinking about pressure. And so I asked her a couple questions about it. It's called a pressure wound. It's not a wound that's caused by a surgeon's scalpel that didn't heal right. It's not a wound caused by something sharp that somebody fell on. Okay? Uh, it's a different type of wound. It comes, a, a, a pressure wound comes, it is formed in a very particular way that I think when we think about it a little bit, it parallels some of the pressure wounds that maybe we suffer from the soul when we live just under pressure and not priorities. Now listen to this. This is how they're formed. Pressure wounds are formed when the soft tissue of the body are sandwiched between two hard surfaces for so long and under such pressure that the blood supply is cut off. Here are the two hard surfaces, though. It's the exterior surface, which can be you know, a mattress that has a, a, a big box spring in it or something, or a spring underneath it. It's hard or whatever, okay? It can be the side of a bed sometimes. It can be a chair. But the other part that's hard is the bone inside the body. And so it's sandwiched, this soft tissue, to the point where it doesn't get blood flow. And what happens? It dies. It has something that she calls necrotic tissue. Every time she says that, I'm a little scared of her. I don't know why. Necrotic tissue. And uh, 
that's how it forms. I never thought about it. I always thought about the hard surface on the outside. I never thought about the hard surface on the inside. Internal pressure and external pressure, squeezing something to the point where it's wounded. Doesn't that sound like us? We have internal pressures that drive us to get things done, to produce. I'm only of value when I'm working hard, producing stuff, when I'm busy, whatever truth we have inside that is a pressure that pushes us on, pushes then we get sandwiched between the external pressure of jobs and responsibilities and the community, and we're sandwiched between it and our soul gets wounded. And death occurs. And all we do is fantasize about when the pressure could be released and the healing could come. And that's how you heal a pressure wound. You have to remove the pressure as much as humanly possible so the blood flow can come back to the tissues. She said it would be great if we could suspend these people. And, you know, just suspend them in air and have their wound be suspended because it would take all the pressure off of them. Now, you can't take all the pressure off. Because gravity keeps us together, right? So there is good pressure, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, in our lives. There's good pressure. Keeps us together, you know? So when someone's healing from one of these wounds, you have to move the pressure as much as humanly possible, but leave some of the pressure there. Then they have to remove the dead tissue, which just is really scary to me. I know they do that by... You know, descaling them with scalpels. They have the ultrasonic kind of things that they do. But they have to get it out of there. Why? So that the blood flow can come and make those new tissues revive. Another thing that she told me is if your body doesn't notice, a wound, if your body doesn't attend to a wound properly in, what is it, 14 days? Four days. Four weeks. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I got it wrong in first service. But in four weeks then your body doesn't think you're wounded and it doesn't take care of it. And you have a chronic wound and she has a job getting it healed. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever think maybe we have some soul wounds that we don't know that we have and we're not attending to them because we don't even know they're there. But we're walking around under pressure with woundedness and we don't even know how to attend to it. We've forgotten that happened to us and that we live under this pressure cooker in life. But the third thing they have to do is they have to maintain a healthy healing environment. And this includes both healthy amounts of pressure and release. Pressure and release. You know? Some people, they... they, they, And and that's true of life in us. We have to have pressure and release. We have to have this rhythm of life of pressure and then release. That's what Sabbath rest is about. Pressure, and on the seventh day rested from all that he did. And that's what we're to do. Pressure and release. During the day, we need times of pressure and release. Times where we're working, 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 and then we sit down, we what? We take break time. We take lunch time. How many of you usually work through lunch? Just to be honest. Yeah, I have both hands up. I think I work through lunch on my day off. Isn't that terrible? You just keep going. It's like, my brother, I called him the other day, and I said, hey, my, my back, my back, I have this bad back spasm. And I've been riding bike a lot, and he bikes a lot, and he's about 10 years older than me. So I try to find out what's coming. 
we genetically look a lot alike. And so, hey, Lonnie, my brother Lonnie, he lives in New Jersey. Hey, what's coming, you know? And so I said to him, you know, like, hey, you know, both Debbie and I are having this thing with our back, and we've been biking a lot, and, you know, we're not sure if it's how we're sitting in the bikes or whatever. And he said, oh, man, yeah, what you got to do is take a break. <laughs> oh, no, we're on the green belts, 20 miles. We got to get it in. So we got other stuff to do, you know? He said, no. He said, my doctor actually told me the other day, when I mow for 15 minutes, I should get a glass of iced tea set up that starts to, that ice starts to melt. And when I see it melting, that's probably about 15 minutes. And I need to take a break from mowing and take a break and drink the iced tea and then go back and do 15 more minutes of mowing. Take a, take a, I said, come on, it sounds like we're old now. <laughs> and he said, we are. But even when you're young, you need a cadence of pressure and release. You need a cadence of going to class and then, that, why do you think they have like three days of the week where you have class, 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 Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whoa, and then you have Tuesday, Thursday, and you're like, great, I can sleep in today. It's pressure and release. <laughs> yeah, go to chapel. <laughs> or join a small group. I like what Ellen Fry would offer to the small group alternate chapels. Good man. But you need that pressure, that rhythm. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks of rhythm, the rhythms of life with God and others and how to have that interchange. I gave you three questions there. These are three questions that kind of help me. And they, they do line up with this whole woundedness and healing thing. Um, the first one is, what am I running toward? When I'm running toward something, it usually has something to do with all the external pressures of life. And those external pressures may have to do with some of my goals that I've set up and things that I want to accomplish. So what am I running toward? What do, what do I value or what do I want to accomplish? Maybe something I'm wanting to run toward is, by the end of the year, I want to be at this status or this level of my job. Maybe that's something that you're looking to do. I want to have this training. I want to have these courses done. I want to be able to get this promotion. And I want to do it by this time. And what am I running toward? What are some of my goals in my job and my life and my marriage and stuff that I set up that actually are kind of external pressures. And are they too high? Are there too many of them? That's why you asked yourself that question. Are they so high that they're causing too much pressure and it's wounding me? The second one is, what am I running from? What am I running from? These are internal pressures. These are internal motivations that keep you on that treadmill like those two ladies at the beginning until you fall and hit your lip on the ground. And they're internal, they're internal values or codes or mantras that you learned growing up. And maybe, the, maybe one of them is, you will never amount to anything. And so you're showing everybody else you will. I'll show you. I'll outwork everybody. Maybe you're stupid and you're running from your stupid. But there's internal mantras, codes, and values that we grow up with. Maybe it's he who dies with the most toys wins. Maybe you actually believe that. And so that's your internal thing that's motivating you to run on. Okay? But with the external pressure and internal pressure, maybe you have to ask yourself the third question. Am I really making any progress and that is, do I have the healthy environment for healing and growth in my life? Or am I so pressured from the external and the internal 
that it's causing death to my very soul. I don't connect with God very well. I don't really appreciate other people. And I hardly notice his creation as I scream by it going 90 miles an hour. Do I have an environment for healing and growth in my life? Three good questions to ask yourself that help release the pressure and help you start to do. Number two, are you living under priorities? Are you living under priorities? Like I said earlier, Moses seems to recognize this frenzy, the pressure and trouble that that fills the limited amount of time we have. In Psalm 90, he continues with this prayer when he says this, teach us to make the most of our time so that we can grow a heart of wisdom. Interesting words there. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we can grow a heart of wisdom. The New International Version puts it this way. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, when I read that for the first time and I looked at it, I said, what in the world is he talking about? Got the pack, Joel. This is another Joel. Say thank you to the other Joel. And Rick, we're so glad you're back just for these occasions. So he says, teach us a number of our days are right. We, I mean, did he not know how to have a calendar? Back then, did they not? Was this the first calendar where they had numbers in the calendar? Lord, please teach us how to put numbers in the calendar so that the months fall up and they line up with the moon and stars and the lunar eclipses. And stuff. Was that what Moses was asking God to do? I don't think so. Because we know they had calendars back then. One, two, three. Talk about calendars for a minute while I switch microphones. I'm really not Eeyore, I'm Tigger. <laughs> the wonderful thing about Tiggers. This could really get bad now. That's stay focused, Joel. There goes a bird. Um, he's not saying that he's not what he's doing is there's a play on words here in Hebrew he's saying Lord help us not to be consumed with just checking off the number of days that we have been allotted by you help us not just to count our days but we would say it this way help us not to just count our days but help us make our days count that's how we would take this Hebrew idiom and put it into English. Help us not to just count our days. Do you, any of you ever just count off your days till vacation? I do it. Vacation is coming. I get to do whatever the heck I want. I mark it down on the calendar, and then I cross the days off. Another day off, another day off, another day off. And what he's saying is, don't just check them off. I mean, it's not bad to look forward to something and get ready for something and anticipate something and anticipate the rhythm of work and rest. But what he's saying is, don't just live your life clicking off the clicks of the days. Make your days count. 
And the only way that, Lord, we can make our days count, if you help us get a heart of wisdom about how to stave off the pressures and live by priorities that you give us. And what was the top priority of the nation of Israel? It was the Shema, the here. That's a Hebrew word that means here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And Jesus added this, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the top priorities. Get to know the God that made you and love him and love your neighbor as yourself. Top priorities of life. Not all the processes, not all the projects. Not that project list. I have a project list at home. And it's important because some of those projects bless people. I get things done and they bless people. They're, they're connected to people. I paint the hallway upstairs and it blesses my wife. She stands up and calls me blessed. Blessed are you, oh, Joel, who has painted the hallway for us. <laughs> Happens all the time. So I'm not saying that projects aren't connected to people, but... Sometimes we're in that frenzy. We're just trying to get it done. We're not even enjoying blessing somebody by something else that we do. You know? When's the last time you enjoyed blessing somebody by what you do? I was coming back home from Colorado, not this past Friday night, but the Friday night before that. As I was driving to the airport, which was a four-hour drive from Gunnison down to, to um, Denver, I got a phone call from my sister that my mother, who's 83 years old and has just beginnings of Parkinson's disease, had fallen that day, bruised her face badly and broken her ankle in three places. And I said, I'd like to talk to you. Let me talk to you at the airport. I'm just getting on Route 70. I'm not really familiar with the Denver airport that well. Let me call you back in a couple of minutes. I got off the phone and it dinged again and I looked down and there was a text message from the dean of the seminary that I attend that one of my mentors who has mentored me for a long time, his wife died that morning from a disease called PSP. She was 57, 58 years old, Diana was. And we knew she was in her last days, but that morning I say goodbye to my son, our youngest, till Christmas. Then I get a phone call about my mom and she's, you know, fallen. And I, I'm, I'm in Denver. I can't do anything about this. And then I get a call that one of the men who's built the most into my soul, his wife, his partner, his lover has passed at an early age. I didn't really want to talk to anybody else in that airplane. I wanted to put my iPod in my ears and put both earbuds in and say, stay away. <laughs> I sat in the airport for about an hour or so drinking a cup of coffee and thinking and texting my friend and calling back my sister and trying to find out how things were going. But really my soul was just, I just wanted to be alone. I think we've all gone through stages where I just need some space here. I got called up to the desk right before we started to get on the flight. And the flight attendant said, we've changed your seat. I need your boarding pass. We've changed it to another seat. Is that okay with you? We see that you're flying alone, that you flew out here. Looks like with your son, but you're flying back alone. And I said, yeah, that's fine with me. You know, is there more leg room where you're moving me to? He said, unfortunately not. And uh, so I got on the airplane and I went to sit in my seat and there was a little guy on the aisle. 
And I thought, well, his mom or dad must be around here somewhere. He looked to me to be somewhere around 10, 11, 12 years old. And I had to ask him to move so I could sit in the seat next to him. I, I stowed my stuff. I put my iPod on. I figured he's with his parents. And I'm listening to my music, and I'm reading my book by John Ortberg, and I'm giving every sign, don't talk to me. He reaches his little hand over, and he taps on my hand. And I looked over at him, and I slowly took my earbuds out, and I turned my iPod off, and he said, hey, that thing's pretty cool. So I have a little wristband for my iPod, just a little rubber wristband, but it makes it into like a watch thing, and you can run on the beach with it or whatever. I never run on the beach. I walk on the beach, but anyhow, you could run. And I said, well, hey, your mom and dad with you? He goes, no, I'm flying on my own. And then I realized, oh, they moved me to sit next to him. They need to be paying me for this flight. He said, my name's Jacob. And I said, oh, Jacob, I'm Joel. Nice to meet you. And, you know, I said something about us both having Old Testament names. And he just had a dead stare in his eye like, what are you talking about? And we started to talk. I said, how many times? Is this your first time flying by yourself? He said, no, I've done this at least six or eight times. My parents got divorced two years ago. And they have joint custody. So I spend part of the year in Colorado and part of the year in New Jersey. I said, well, that must explain. I said, well, how does that explain the, your New York Rangers hat that you've got on? So we started talking about the New York Rangers. And before long, all of my care went out the window. As I sat there on assignment from God just to enjoy a conversation with a 12-year-old boy. He didn't have any money for the soda cart. And in Frontier now, you can bring your own snacks on, but you can't bring your drinks on. So he shared some snacks with me, and I bought him a drink. I thought that was a good exchange. And for about three or a half, four hours, from time to time, he would tap my hand. I would take out my earbuds. And Jacob and Joel, at 30-some thousand feet, wouldn't let God lead the conversation. That was so much better for my soul than being alone. Believe me, there are times where we need our alone time. Amen? But there are times when life is of more value than just caving under the pressure and we live out the priorities of God to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love that night the 12-year-old little neighbor as herself. Because all I could think of was I thanked God that our family was together and I thought, if I had a 12-year-old that was flying on his own, I'd want someone to be a friend to him and make it the friendly skies for that little guy. Priorities. Jesus had his priorities straight. Jesus said this. He was saying this prayer to the Father. And he said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. In John 17, 4. Now underline that, finishing the work. Finishing the work. How could Jesus say he had finished the work? I mean, didn't he look around and see for every blind person that he healed, there was 10 more that needed sight? 
Couldn't he see that for every child he brought back from the dead, there was 10 more that had died and not been breathed life back into? Couldn't he see for every friend like Lazarus that he called out from the tomb, there were 10 more friends who passed away and didn't come back? Couldn't he see the pain and the hunger? Couldn't he see the war and the famine and the things? Couldn't he see all that? I mean, we don't look back in history and see, oh yeah, when Jesus came, everything got perfect and then it went all bad again. So how could he possibly say to the Father, I've finished the work? I don't know about you, but I look around. Most of my time I say, I haven't finished the work. I mean, there's still people that need to be discipled. Still people need to come to Jesus. There's still, you know, uh, my kids still need my help and my guidance. And and my wife still needs me to be a husband to her. And, you know, you look around and the work isn't finished, right? Our work is never done. How could Jesus say to the Father, The second part of the verse gives us the answer to that. The work, circle it, you gave me to do. Too many times we're living under the pressure of other people and the pressure within to do work that God didn't give us to do. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to take in too much. We've taken on too much responsibility. And the Father says, just do the work I gave you to do. Don't try to be a superhero. There's no S on your, when you pull your shirt apart, there's no S on your chest. Just be my son and my daughter and accept the work that I've given you to do. Jesus had vital called out companions for his journey and he knew exactly what he was to do, exactly what he was not to do because he stayed in contact with the Father 24-7. And when life became overwhelming, again and again, we see Jesus. He does not give in to the pressure. He gets away with the Father. And that's what we need to do. If Jesus is God in the flesh, the third person of the Godhead, and he needed that interchange to know how to set the right priorities, guess who else needs it? We need the voice of the Father. We need to know when we have an assignment and when we don't. We need to know when to work and when to rest. We need to have the right cadence of priorities in our life. Recently, I came across uh, this phrase that kind of helps me. It's an inner phrase that you use as a litmus test to help you test for your priorities. And you don't say it out loud to other people, but when things are happening and you can't get something done, you say something like this to yourself. Oh, that's not a priority for me right now. Now, you don't say it to other people because they think you're smart. They think you're just being smart with them, you know. Um, you know, hey, hon, would you like to cut the grass? Well, that's not a priority for me right now. That's not going to go over real good. You know, hey, dad, can I call you in 15 minutes on the phone? Well, you're not a priority for me right now. Jesus said, depart from me. (laughs) But inside, it helps you say, that's not a priority for me right now. Maybe it's I need to text my son back at break halfway through the morning. Like I looked at the text. It's not like he's going to die before I get back to him. I could text him back a little bit later. The priority now is the person coming through the door who just, whose spouse just left last night. And they're asking for the help of Jesus in the church. You know. So you have to, it helps you weigh out what are the priorities and where do they fall in line. And it helps you be more prayerful. So it's just kind of an inner 
check about that. You know, how we spend our time. On your program guide, I put down something there just to help you with kind of three categories of life. This is just kind of a, a, a way of baby stepping into priorities. And uh, it's very simplistic, but it breaks down life into the spiritual, the relational, and the physical. And every time I do an exercise like this, I don't know why it is. I'm not a detailed person, but I get over-detailed with it. I write down, you know, every or last relationship I have, everyone's name. I do. And I have to stop myself and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe the relational thing I need to do is put up there with the people that I live with in my house right now, which right now is my wife and my oldest daughter who lives in an apartment in her basement. I need to, I need to uh, daily listen to them, engage them and listen, and monthly I need to take my daughter out for an extended coffee time. Maybe that's it, okay? I write that down in relation. Spiritually, okay? Maybe it's as simple as this. I read the same verse every day for five days of the week, and I meditate on it throughout the day, and on the weekend, I journal what God taught me about that one verse all week long. Instead of, I'm reading this book, and I'm doing this, and I'm journaling every day, and I'm not journaling every day, and I'm, you know, and I'm going to pray this long prayer by St. Percy, and, uh, you know, and then I'm going to, you know, go to the spiritual retreat on Friday. Every Friday, I'm going to spend the whole day in prayer and fasting before God and as five Franciscan monks, and you never do this stuff, right? Make it simple. Physical. I'm not going to do P90X in 30 days. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to do it in 90 days. I'm going to sell it on the internet just the way I bought it. Still unwrapped and unpackaged. And then I'm going to go to the gym three times a week for an hour with my friend Mark, who lives around the corner, because that's doable and that's helpful for me physically. And that'll help me set priorities. This is just a simple tool, but it can help you just begin to go... The old life feels so overwhelming. How do I make that? Okay, just simple. Let's start simple and small and take steps that we can do. And in that time, say to God, teach me how to make my days count. Help me grow a heart of wisdom. And we grow a heart of wisdom when we consult God on our priorities. That's how we gain a heart of wisdom. Coach me, God. Lead me, God. Mentor me, God. Help me, God. Speak to me, God. Give me companions, God, that walk with you. So, you know, the frenzy on the outside may never stop, but the frenzy on the inside can subside, even beginning today. I don't know if you know this, but often the frenzy in the outside isn't stopping. Like, for most of us, we're not going to go into work on Tuesday, and our boss isn't going to say, you know what? We've been watching you. You work really hard. We've actually decided to take your job description, cut it in half, and take your salary and double it. We've paid for a four-month vacation for you in Tahiti. And you can take all your family and friends that you want to. And when you come back, we bought you a nice Harley Davidson to ride back and forth to work. Because we value you here. Now, if that happened, what would you know about your boss? Two words. 
crack cocaine. <laughs> yes, that's, that's not happening, okay? That's stop fantasizing. We can fantasize here and then just put that to rest, right? But what you can do is attend to the pressure from the inside. And it can begin even today. In his groundbreaking book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, pastor and author Peter Scazzaro writes these words about embracing our limits as a pathway to being prioritized and not living under the pressures of life. He says this about embracing our God-given limits. He says embracing our God-given limits is a painful lesson for all of us to learn. Our egos tend to be so inflated that we act as if we're God himself. Often we have larger fantasies and wishes for ourselves than God does and that our life can really support. As a result, we work frantically to try to do more than God ever intended for us. We burn out thinking we can do more than we can. We get stressed out. We blame others. We run around frantically convinced that the world, whether it be in our job or our friends or our community or children, that our world will stop if we stop. Others of us get depressed because our desires are so high and unachievable that it seems like doing anything else would just be meaningless. And getting off of our thrones and joining the rest of humanity is going to be a growing up experience. But there's a part of all of us that hates limits. We won't accept them, and when we won't, we pay a high price, the wounding of our very soul. I want to pray a prayer for us. And when I see us, I'm very included in all this. For us to be a church family this fall that lives under the priorities of God and doesn't live under all the pressures, that it's released, that we receive healing, that we find a new pathway to walk in. And so let me pray for you, and then we're going to listen to the words of a song or two, and we'll wrap up this morning's worship. But let's talk to God together in prayer. Put your chin on your chest. Rest your eyes for a moment. Take in this prayer that's for all of us. It's true, God. In just the blink of an eye, life moves on from one season to another. And before we know it, our eyes are closing on this earth for the very last time in a blink. Your word even tells us that you will return in the blink of an eye. So, Lord, since life cruises by us so quickly, help us to catch our breath in the midst of the frenzy long enough to make the change from operating under pressure to operating according to your priorities for us. Indeed, help us to handle our days in such a way that they really count rather than just counting up our days that will be recorded on a headstone with two dates and a dash between them. Lord, teach us how to make our days and our hours and our moments and our relationships count so that our heart, soul, mind, and strength are full of wisdom that was infused from a rich relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
teach me to number my days and count every moment before it slips away. Taking all the colors before they fade to gray. in a blink, it happens in a flash, it happens in the time it took to look back. I try to hold on tight, but there's no stopping time. What is it I've done with my life? It happens in a blink, happens in a blink. When all said and done, How far we have run The only thing that matters Is how we have loved I don't want to miss Even just a second More of this It happens in a blink Stop it, time. What is it I've done with my life? It happens in a blink. 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 Slow down. Slow down. Before the day. Comes our yesterday. Slow down, slow down. Before you turn around and it's too late. It happens in a blink, it happens in a flash, it happens in the time it took to look back. Try to hold on tight, but there's no stopping time. What is it I've done with my life? It happens in a blink, it happens in a flash, it happens in a time it took to look back. Try to hold on tight, but there's no stopping time. What is it I've done with my life? program guide and pull out your response card if everyone could do that right now we're going to take a time to respond this morning to what God has said to you it may be one of the three areas of life that I mentioned earlier the spiritual the relational maybe something you need to do with that it may be that you just want to stop living under pressure and start living out God's priorities maybe something as just poignant as that maybe something more particular but as God has spoken to you this morning it's good for you to record it 
And what happens to these cards is when you turn them in, any of your prayer requests on Tuesday morning, we have a team of prayer partners and I meet with them and we sit down and we pray over every last request that comes in and anything that's a comment, we just pray that God will infuse that and make it come true and in you. So if you would like to be prayed for on Tuesday morning about what God talked to you about this morning, take some time, fill out your card and deposit it as you leave in the offering boxes as you go. Take a couple minutes to do that right now.